I have to begin by confessing that I am largely clueless about pop culture. As a parent of young children who also works full-time, I'm a good couple years behind on movies and TV shows. And I'm generally happy listening to the same folk and bluegrass music I've loved since college. So I got more than I bargained for early this summer when I innocently clicked on one single news article about Taylor Swift. This was sufficient to convince the social media algorithms that I must be a Taylor Swift superfan. And so for months, whenever I picked up my phone, I was presented with what seemed like every possible Taylor Swift-related headline the internet could throw at me. Taylor Swift performs for three and a half hours in the pouring rain. 70,000 dancing Taylor Swift fans cause actual seismic activity. And then, towards the end of the summer, Taylor Swift gives life-changing $100,000 bonuses to her Eras Tour truck drivers. This headline in particular popped up again and again through just about every single news platform I'd ever heard of, and then some. After a while, I couldn't help but wonder what it says about us, that this kind of generosity receives so much public attention. Examples of unexpected giving are rare enough that when they happen, they are often, if not reported on a national level, at the very least a feel-good story on the local news. This is at least in part because the idea of being paid more than you are supposed to earn is antithetical to how our society is designed. In the capitalism within which we live and move and have our being, there is a link, at least a perceived one, between the quantity and quality of our work and the amount of our compensation. We are paid for how many hours we work. The skilled labor that some of us study or train for many years to perform pays more lucratively than a job that, as the rationale goes, anyone could do. This is, as we often understand it, only fair. We should get out what we put in. Such is the argument of the indignant day laborers in today's gospel reading. They have been working since very early in the morning when a vineyard owner first found them standing in the town square and hired them for a full day's work. The vineyard is blazing hot, and the work has been monotonous and physically grueling. They have been working for a standard day's wage, nothing special. And they have been working under what we would likely consider a fair assumption that the additional laborers who have joined them throughout the day, some as late as 5 p.m., would be paid a percentage of this standard wage in proportion to the amount of time they spent in the vineyard. I can't say I begrudge these all-day workers their frustration when, at the end of the day, not only are they paid last, even though they are probably exhausted and very ready to go home, but they have to stand and watch folks who have worked for an hour be paid the full daily wage the same amount they've spent probably 12 hours laboring to earn. This doesn't seem fair or just. It doesn't seem like how the world should work. 
And in fact, it isn't how the world works because the vineyard doesn't represent the world. Parables like this one are not meant to be descriptive of our current reality. They are glimpses into the imagination of God, attempts by Jesus to translate the alternate reality of the kingdom of heaven into language that his all-too-human disciples can understand. And in the alternate reality of the kingdom of heaven, justice doesn't work in many of the ways we're used to. Our sense of justice dictates that when we work more, we should get paid more. But God's justice is to give priority to the unwanted. And when we revisit this parable from the vineyard owner's perspective, we see that this is exactly what is happening. Because unlike the all-day workers whose mental and emotional energy are consumed with their own injured sense of fairness, the vineyard owner is curious about why so many people are still hanging out in the town square at 5 p.m. Shouldn't these folks be off laboring in someone else's vineyard? Is there a reason they've been standing there all day? It's because, they tell him, nobody hired them. They weren't lazy, they were unwanted. And as a direct result, the vineyard owner not only hires them for the same wage that the all-day workers receive, a wage that he pointedly tells them is what is right, but they receive their payment before everyone else. In the kingdom of heaven, as Jesus says, the first will be last, and the last will be first. It is this parable that serves as the primary scriptural basis for the concept that Catholic liberation theologians call God's preferential option for the poor. Now, it's easy to assume, as some critics of this concept have, that this idea that God prioritizes the poor means that God is out to create a reverse hierarchy, with formerly privileged people on the bottom and the poor middle class still in the middle. What it really means, though, is that God stands in solidarity with the poor against poverty. It means that God rejects every systemic force that contributes to the perception that some people are valuable and others are insignificant, that supplies some people with the resources they need to live and leaves others waiting empty-handed in the town square. God's preferential option for the poor is a rejection of hierarchy altogether, a paradigm shift that entirely transcends the ethical standards of capitalism and instead cultivates notions of fairness and justice rooted in the reality of God's gratuitous grace and love. In the face of our desperate and unceasing attempts to secure power, status, and resources for ourselves, God invites us into a reality in which there is actually enough for everyone. God responds to our commitment to rise and grind, just as the vineyard owner responds to the all-day workers. Can I not do what I choose with what belongs to me? Now, I realize that a reality in which there is enough for everyone is not our current reality. Access to resources remains both desperately unequal and firmly tied to the necessity of work. And preaching otherwise can sound at best aspirational and at worst naive. But 
I do think there are ways that we can disrupt the exploitative systems within which we find ourselves, even in very small ways, and bring our understandings of justice and fairness more closely into alignment with God's. While we may never make the national or even the local news, we can use our resources, our money, our time, and our skills in ways that contribute to the flourishing of others, that work toward the growth of relationship and community. We can renew our commitment to care for creation, knowing that the most vulnerable among us are disproportionately affected by climate change. And we can do what might be both the easiest and the hardest thing of all. We can challenge within our own selves the link that we perceive between our productivity and our self-worth. I will admit that I have struggled my entire life with perfectionism, and I can overfunction with the best of them. So I'm talking to myself as much as I am to you. And yet I do believe that when we can manage to rest in our own inherent enoughness, regardless of the quantity or quality of work we do, we work toward the creation of a society in which nobody is ever unwanted. We participate in the inbreaking of the kingdom of heaven. In today's Old Testament reading, the Israelites find themselves suddenly and jarringly liberated from the only reality they have ever known. Wandering hungry in the wilderness, they accuse Moses of trying to starve them to death. They may have been enslaved before, but at least they got to sit by the flesh pots and eat their fill of bread. God's response to this complaint is to give immediately and compassionately exactly enough meat and bread for every single person. As the theologian Walter Brueggemann writes, the Israelites are told to gather enough for the day. No hoarding, no storing up. When there is no scarcity, there is no warrant for hoarding. No member of the community need be threatened by what the neighbor has. No need for greed, no need for brutality, no need for violence, no need for Pharaoh's way with bread. Because Yahweh is the giver who keeps on giving every day, sufficient for the day. What could the world look like if we could accept both God's sufficiency and our own? What if we, like the Israelites, could learn to be both fed and free? Amen. The Chapel of the Cross is an Episcopal church in the heart of Chapel Hill and the university community. Find out more at thechapelofthecross.org. There you can find our latest news and events, connect with our pastoral care team, Faith in Action Ministries, and offer a prayer request. You can also find us on social media, on Instagram at The Chapel of the Cross, and on Facebook and Twitter at C-O-T-C Chapel Hill. May you be nourished by the word to serve in the world.